At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. Good morning. My name is Abraham Phillip, and it's a delight to be here this morning with you. No, you don't need to do that. I'll just set that right there. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> good morning again. All right, this half of the room needs help. Do you guys need some coffee? There's a cafe. Oh, you have your coffee. Well, good morning. There we go. Wonderful to be here this morning with you. It's been a while since I've been here, and it's uh, always a delight and a pleasure to be here. I just grew up a couple miles from here, actually, at 14 and Chainer, so this is always like coming home. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. John Blanchard is an author, and in his book, he estimates that since recorded history, there have been 30 billion people who have been alive on the face of the earth. And of those 30 billion people, only a handful have ever made a significant impact in the history of our world. But of the handful that have made an impact, only one name stands above all of them. I'll let you guess whose name that is. Oh, I can't hear you, church. Jesus. His name is Jesus. One and only name that stands above every other name. His name is Jesus. But who is Jesus? Who? Yes, he is. You need to come up here and preach. <clears throat> but who is Jesus to you? You see, many of us know Jesus, think of Jesus, have heard of Jesus. But many of us don't have the, the view of Jesus that we should have of him. You see, what we do with Jesus and who we believe Jesus is impacts our lives here as well as all of eternity. And so the answer to who is Jesus and what is Jesus to us has eternal significance. It's a weighty question that every one of us must answer. And the bigger Jesus is to us and the better he is to us, the more profound his life impacts ours and our lives will be far more fulfilled and energized than ever before. We are in week three of a series we started a couple of weeks ago called Essentials, Why Truth Matters. And we've been journeying through the Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed is just a set of statements, true statements, that are clear, that are concise, that are easy to remember, statements of truth that are based on the scriptures. And they were perhaps used in the early church to teach new believers the doctrines of the Christian faith. And then by doing so, those doctrines would help deter false teaching. And so we spent the last two weeks looking at the first sentence in the Apostles' Creed. And this week, we come to the second sentence. And the creed in the second sentence says... I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. It's a very clear and concise statement about who Jesus is. It talks about his identity, his divinity, and his incarnation. 
In order to unpack who Jesus is, I invite you to turn in your Bibles or devices to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we're going to spend this morning looking at the question of who Jesus is. And as we look at the first 18 verses of John chapter 1, what we're going to see is that Jesus shines the light on God. Jesus shines the light on God. And so we might ask the question, well, how does Jesus shine the light on God? I'm glad you asked. There are three ways in which Jesus shines the light on God. The first is through his relationship to God, through his relationship to God. I am in John chapter 1, reading in verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John starts this gospel with words that are very familiar. If we have spent any time reading the Bible, we know that the words that John uses helps us remember some other words that are recorded in the Bible, right? The Bible in Genesis chapter 1 begins with what words? In the beginning. And John didn't make a mistake when he used those same words here in John chapter 1 to begin his, his gospel. In the beginning... He connects with Genesis chapter 1. And instead of saying in the beginning God, he says in the beginning was the word. And he does that intentionally. Because as in Genesis chapter 1, we understand that that phrase means that God existed before creation. That God was pre-existent eternally. John, when he writes this gospel, wants you and I to understand that Jesus, the word, existed before all of creation. That he was eternally pre-existence, in existence before the world was made. In the beginning was the word. But you notice in verse number one, three times John uses the verb was. I know this is not an English class, and if there are English teachers, forgive me. But the word was actually just means continually or continuing. You could almost use it to say was continuing. So in the beginning was continuing the word. Why? Because Jesus has always existed. There was never a time when he was not. It's hard to help explain in human words what it, what it looks like to be in existence for all eternity. We exist in time. So anything we talk about has a time element to it. Even when I try to explain eternity to you, I have to say before time began. I have to use the word time, but Jesus existed before time, before the world, before creation, before light, before there was anything. Jesus was continuing. And not only was Jesus eternally pre-existent, but notice the second phrase of verse number one says, and the word was with God. The word with means to word. Like there was a face-to-face -face relationship in God. That immediately says that there's more than one person. This is where we start to develop our understanding of the Trinity. That God is one in essence and three in person. That God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here John says that in the beginning was continuing with God. Face-to-face -face relationship. 
indicating that there were two people who were near each other in eternal relationship, in eternal loving relationship with each other. In the beginning was continuing the Word. The Word was continuing with God. You see, the Word is a person. God the Father is a person. And for all of eternity, they have existed in wonderful, loving, eternal relationship. But John's not done because the third phrase says, and the Word was God. If you had a doubt about who the Word was, He was God. He's not the same as God the Father. He is distinct and separate, but of the same nature and of the same essence as God the Father. In the beginning was continuing the Word. The Word was continuing to be with God, and the Word was God. In fact, if you didn't catch it, in verse number 2, he says, and in the beginning he was with God, just in case you missed it. The Word, Jesus has been God always and forever. And he was with God in the beginning. But notice, not only is Jesus the word who existed eternally with God, in verse number three, we find that he is the creator of all things. That everything that came into being, came into being because of Jesus. That everything that we see, hear, feel, touch, and experience came into existence because of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Did you get it, church? Everything was created by who? Jesus. Jesus, who is God, who is with God, created all things. One commentator said it this way. If you could get past all of the atoms, and you could go to the subatomic particles, and you could go even beyond the subatomic particles to the quantum realm, and and see the subatomic particles of the subatomic particles, and use your divine imagination to get to the smallest elements that make up creation, you would see written on those teeny, tiny, microscopic elements or things, the writing or an inscription made by Jesus. That every single thing in this universe is stitched together, made by Jesus. Friends, he's God. He's creator. He's eternal. He's wonderful. And because he made me, and because he made you, we have a responsibility then to our creator, don't we? Because we know who created us, I know that I have a responsibility to him, that I have to live my life in a way that pleases him, that glorifies him, that brings honor and majesty to him, that I can't live my life the way I want. I have been created by a creator who gives me purpose, and my purpose is not my job. My purpose is not to make money. My purpose is not to make wealth and fame. My purpose is to glorify the one who made me and gave me life. Made by Jesus means I have a purpose, that I exist to glorify God with my life and by my actions and by my words. 
Verse number four tells us that Jesus is the source of all light and life. You know, in, in Genesis chapter one, God said, let there be, oh, you've read that verse, that's good. Let there be light, and there was light. It sprang into action. You notice that darkness didn't like fight the light? Like there wasn't a cosmic yin-yang struggle? When God said, let there be light, there was. Darkness fled. It cannot stand in the presence of light. And then God spoke, and life sprang into being. Animals and birds and plants, and even us, as God breathed life into us, he brought life. But in John chapter 1 and verse 4, the word life that John uses isn't physical life. It's not biological life. The Greek word is the word zoe. Any, any zoes in the room? That word means eternal <clears throat> life. So when John talks about life in verse number 4, he's saying that Jesus is the life, eternal life. Which means that the light that John is talking about isn't physical light. It's spiritual light. You see, Jesus came into the world to bring spiritual light into the darkness of our soul so that those who see the light can have the eternal life that is only found in Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the light and the life. We who walked in darkness have seen a marvelous light. And that light exposed our sin. And we who repented of that sin and accepted Jesus have the wonderful Zoe life, eternal life, that is found only in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light. And his light shines on God because of his relationship with God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the word that was in the beginning with God, who was God, who created all things. And he shines his light on God through his relationship with God. The second way that Jesus shines his light on God is by enlightening everyone who believes in him. Verse number nine <clears throat> says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John continues this imagery of light, talking about the purpose for why Jesus came. Jesus came into the world to give light. Light, spiritual light. And so that phrase, give light, means to give knowledge, to make us aware. Aware of what? Aware of our sinfulness. Aware that we are living in darkness. Aware that we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. Aware that he is light and life. That he has come to reveal the Father. That Jesus has come to make us aware of the plan of redemption that God the Father has instituted before the foundation of the world. He came to give light, to make us aware of our sinful state and of who God is and how much he loves us. But notice, verses 10 and 11 are thick with tragic irony. Jesus, the creator, creator who was God, came to his home, came to his people, came to his culture, came to the very people he had revealed himself to in the Old Testament. And what did they do? 
they rejected him. Why? Because they didn't want him or need him. You know, they lived back then with the same kind of mindset we do. You know what that is? I'm okay. You're okay. We're all right. We don't, we don't, need, we don't need help. We're good. Anybody good? We're good, right? I, I'm definitely good. I mean, some of you, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know what you got. I'm much better, right? I look down my spiritual nose at some of you because, <clears throat> and so we live, we live with this, I'm better than, and then we fill in the blanks with all the people that don't even measure up. And we think that our goodness, that our moral goodness, the things we've done, that that's good enough before God. And so somehow God has to accept us on the basis of our moral goodness. Is that how it works? Like we would stake the entire eternity of our soul on the fact that God would accept us on the basis of our moral goodness. Oh boy, if that's what you think, we're in big trouble. You know what the, the prophet Isaiah says? And all of our works and all of our righteousness and all of our goodness is like filthy rags. That's not the currency that gets us into glory. The currency isn't our goodness, it's his grace. Amen? That's the currency that gets us into glory. He, as one writer put it, he came to his own things, his own people, his own realm, his own kingdom. And this is not just a kingdom in which he happens to be the ruler like an heir to a throne. No, Jesus is the creator king and his people did not receive him. Instead, they rejected him. They didn't want him. They didn't need him. So many people in the world today Live, because, live without this understanding because they think they're okay. They don't need Jesus. They don't need a Savior. They're okay. The Jews rejected him, not because the Jews were worse than anybody else. The Jews were just prototypical of everybody else because you and I have rejected Jesus too at one point in our lives, haven't we? They're just figurative for the rest of us. What they did, we did. We all rejected Jesus and the light of his truth. But verse number 12, notice what verse number 12 says. Not everybody rejected him. Not everybody ignored him. In verse number 12, it says that some received him. Some received him. The word received, John actually tells us that the word received means to believe in his name. To believe in his name doesn't mean just intellectual knowledge. You know, the Bible says that even demons believe that he is God. But does that knowledge do anything good for them? No, it doesn't. So just having intellectual knowledge that Jesus is God isn't enough. The phrase here, to believe in his name, means to entrust ourselves to him. To accept him on the basis of who he says he is and accept him for what he has done. That's what it says. That is what it means to believe in his name. It means that he is who he says he is and accepting what he has done on the cross of Calvary. In other words, it is believing, accepting, and trusting that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross of Calvary for me. And that's a gift, isn't it? That's a gift that none of us deserved. And what do we do with a gift given to us? We, we receive it. Did you see that? We receive it. 
It's free. It's a gift given by a God who loves you and me so much that he was willing to come and to die on a cross. And that gift needs to be received because it's free and it's a gift. But notice, all those who believe and receive the truth, John says, are given the right or the power or the authority to be children of God. They're children of God. It's the right, not that we have naturally, but something a gracious God gives to us. We get adopted into the family of God, and we have all of the rights and the privileges of being a son or a daughter of the Almighty God. Amen? It's a right we get because we have received Jesus. Those privileges don't come because of our past. Those privileges don't come because of how good we are. Those privileges don't come because we have any merit on our part. It comes simply through the grace of an almighty God. <clears throat> For as many as received him, to them give you power to become children of God. But I want you to notice that there is something very interesting in verse number 13. Because you see, the way we receive Jesus isn't just about us. Verse 13 tells us it can only happen because of God. Notice, John adds this little caveat. He says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What is he saying? He's saying that our salvation, the ability to receive and to believe on his name, is all dependent on God. Notice the three things that it's not dependent on. It's not dependent on blood. This is not the blood of Jesus. We're talking about our family blood, our heritage, where we came from, our heritage as a people, as a person, our family. Blood can't save us, can it? The fact that we were born into a Christian home or not has no merit on the fact that we are saved. He says, not by the will of the flesh, not our desires, not our wants, none of our passions can ever save us, nor can the will of man. Meaning somebody else can make a decision for me. We cannot have somebody else determine my eternity. <clears throat> None of these things can save us. Who saves us? God saves us. What John is saying is it's all dependent on God. God pursues us. God rescued us. God died for us. God convicted us of our, of our sin. God shone his light into our hearts. It's all God. That we can't be saved apart from the work of God in our lives. Now let's be clear. There's still a responsibility we have. We just said it in verse number 12. We have the responsibility to receive and to believe. But we can't get to receiving and believing apart from him. Amen? That God in his infinite mercy shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ into the darkness of our soul and light explodes. And what do we see? We see our sin. We see how sinful we are. And when we react and respond to that truth, we should say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for coming short of your glory. I'm sorry for the mess I've made. Would you forgive me? And when that light continues to pierce the darkness of our soul and the gospel truth is made evident in our lives and, and we respond to the grace of an almighty God, we become saved. Jesus comes to live in our hearts and we get adopted into his family.
all because of the grace of an almighty God. Amen, church? It's all because of God. All because of God. The third way in which Jesus shines the light on God is by physically making God known. Verse number 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse number 14 goes all the way back to verse number 9 and tells us how the Word came into the world. The Word became flesh. This is the incarnation. Incarnation is the enfleshing of God where God who, Jesus, the Word who was with God in the beginning, who was God for all of eternity, at some point wrapped His divinity with humanity and came into this world. He came just like you and I did as a human being, leaving the glory he had, leaving the splendor he had, leaving the chorus of angels that worshipped him constantly behind. And he came into this world. And what kind of a world did we give him? Broken, dark, sinful, messed up world. He left all of the perfection of heaven for this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's 100% God and 100% human. Theologians call this the hypostatic union. I can't explain it, but that's what the Bible says. It, try, it hurts my brain every time I try to figure it out. But that's what happens when a finite creature tries to understand an infinite God. Amen? He is way bigger than me. Amen. His thoughts are higher than mine. His ways are wiser than mine. His strength is greater than mine. And all I can say is, yes, Lord, you got it. I believe it. He's 100% God. He's 100% human. And John doesn't explain how the word became flesh. But you see it in the other gospel writers. Luke chapter 1, for example. And that's why the second half of the Apostles' Creed says that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's how he came. Divinity wrapped in humanity. Who came 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem. But notice... Not only did the word wrap himself in flesh, but he came into the world that he created, and John says, and he dwelt among us. The word dwelt means tented or tabernacled. That word John uses very specifically because it should take us back to the Old Testament, especially to the book of Exodus, where you find the story of the children of Israel leaving Egypt and on their way to the promised land, they're journeying through the wilderness and you find in the book of Exodus that in the middle of the camp of the Israelites, there is a tent. It's called the tent of meeting. And right over the tent of meeting is a cloud, a pillar of cloud that is the Shekinah glory of God, the very presence of God. That presence of God is hovering over the tent of meeting. And we read in Exodus that when Moses wants to meet with God, he goes into the tent of meeting to meet with God. Anyone who wanted to meet with God went to the tent of meeting. But then you read in the book of Exodus that they built a tabernacle because God told them to. 
And they built the tabernacle, and they dedicated the tabernacle. And the very last verse of the book of Exodus, you know what it says? That the glory of God filled that tabernacle. So much so that Moses couldn't enter the temple because the presence of God was so strong, no one could get in. Friends, no longer is the presence of God just confined to a tabernacle or to a tent in the wilderness. The glory and the presence of God has wrapped himself in human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And he has come into this world just like you and me so that when we see him, we see God. You know what J.B. Phillips in his message translation says? Jesus, the word, took on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Don't you love that? The word took on flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. That's Jesus, God who became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the unique Son of God, full of grace and truth. I'm going to skip down to verse number 18. John writes in verse number 18, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. You know, it's another reference to a story in Exodus, specifically Exodus 32 through 34. And in that story, we find Moses begging God, interceding for God on behalf of the children of Israel because the children of Israel had sinned because of the golden calf. You remember that story? And so Moses begs God not to destroy them, not to leave them, to continue to to, to lead them. And at the end of all of that intercession, Moses makes a very strange request. Do you know what he says? God, if I found favor in your sight, show me your glory. Moses, you're, you're talking to God. Like, this is a gutsy request. God, show me your glory. You know what God says to him? Sorry, Mo. No can do. Can't do it. Why? If you see my face, you will die. No one can see the face of God and live. But here's what I'll do. You come up to the mountain. And you go stand on the cleft of a rock and I'll cover you. And I'll pass by. I'll make my goodness to pass by before you. And after I'm done passing by, you can take a peek at my afterglow. That's about all you can get. It's all you can stand. And so Moses goes up the mountain. God puts him in the cleft of the rock. And God covers him with his hand. And God walks by. And you know what happens as God walks by? He intones these words found in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I don't know how it sounded, but that sounds like what it would be in my head. But he makes those words appear, and God walks by, and Moses gets to peek at the afterglow. You know what happens? Just that one peek was strong enough so that when Moses came down, his face glowed like the sun. It was so strong, people were scared and said, Mo, we can't handle this. Put a, face, put a covering on. And he had to wear, wear a veil over his face to cover up the glow. Just a peak. No one can see God and live. But you know what God did for us? God sent his son. Veiled in flesh. Wrapped in humanity. 
the glory of God has come. And you and I have seen him, seen him full of the glory of God, full of grace and truth. You know what? There's a phrase there at the end of verse number 18 that says, at the end of verse number 14 that says that the son was full of grace and truth. You know, I find it interesting that when God passed by, the part of what God self-revealed was that he was a slow to anger, compassionate God, full of steadfast love and faithfulness. You know that phrase, steadfast love and faithfulness, is found all over the Old Testament. And it's translated in all sorts of ways. But to summarize it, I would say it this way. Steadfast love and faithfulness is the Old Testament's version of the New Testament's grace and truth. And so the God who revealed himself to the Old Testament saints as slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, wraps himself in flesh and is now of the same substance as that God, he is full of grace and truth. Amen? So what does that mean for us? It means we get to worship him. We get to worship a God who loves us and came into this world to die on a cross for us. But is there more that it does for us? In 2004, a young lady at the age of 32 named Rachel Barkley was diagnosed with breast cancer. Doctors had to do a bilateral mastectomy. And after they were finished, they found that her cancer was genetic and so in order to make sure that that cancer didn't come back ever again, they removed her ovaries. And so in order to make sure that cancer would never come back, she did everything that she could and even more than what the doctors had recommended so that cancer would never come. She had a, a three-year-old son and a seven-month-old daughter. She wanted to do everything she could to stay alive for them. But five years later, in January of 2009, the doctors found that her liver and her bones were full of cancer. Within five weeks, her cancer had moved into her skull. The doctors told her she had six to 18 weeks to live to get her life in order. Can you imagine? With little children. To make a long story short, in July 2nd of 2009, she'd been to be home with the Lord. Just before she died, she spoke at a women's conference in Vancouver, Canada. And in her presentation, she was very upset that people were defining her by her cancer. They were calling her a cancer survivor, and she said, that's not who I am. In fact, in her words, she says, cancer does not define me. Neither does being a wife or a mother. All of these things are a part of who I am, but they do not define me. What defines me is my relationship with Jesus. What defines me is my relationship with Jesus. You see, Rachel understood something few of us ever learn. That we are not defined by our past. We are not defined by our mistakes. We're not defined by our jobs. We're not defined by anything else. We're not even defined by our pain. We're defined by the one who loved us and gave his life for us. Amen? His name is Jesus. That Jesus came into this world to die on a cross so that those who believe in his sacrifice might become children of God. You see, when we come to the things that are the end of us, when we come to the end of our road and we are facing death in front of us, 
It isn't a philosophy that's going to comfort us. It isn't the size of our bank account that's going to encourage us. It's going to be the sweet, ever-present, unchanging, unfailing presence of Jesus by our side. Amen? That is what makes all the difference. Because when Jesus has you by your hand, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. When Jesus is by your side, it changes everything. Because the one who loved you came from heaven and earth to go to a cross. To die a death that you and I deserved. To pay a penalty that we couldn't pay. So that those of us who put our faith and trust in him might have a relationship with a father we don't deserve. Friends, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, can I introduce him to you? We're so glad you're here. But today is the day. This is the place. Now is the time for you to come to know Jesus Christ by faith. It starts by saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my mistakes. Would you forgive my sin? And would you come into my life? Would you be my Savior and my Lord? The Bible says if you believe in your heart and if you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And the Bible says that you will be adopted into the family of God and you will have the hope of eternal life. You don't have to worry about tomorrow because he's got you. Amen? Friends, those of you who do know and love Jesus, let's worship him. 2,000 years ago, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And just for a brief slice of time, they think they recognized him. But you see, he didn't come to be king. He came to die. And a week later, he would hang on a cross, broken, bloodied, beaten, bruised. Why? Because he loved you and he loved me. Can we worship him? Can we give him glory? Can we give him the honor? Can we give him our whole lives and say, Jesus, take it all. Take it all. Because you are Jesus, the one who loves me and gave himself for me. If you need Jesus, if you want to accept him into your life, there will be people at the front who would love to pray with you. If you need prayer, there will be people who would love to pray with you. But would you pray with me now? Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that the one who was by your side for all eternity came to be one of us, to live in this broken, cruel, dark world, to shine his light, the light of the glory of God in our lives so that we might know you by faith. None of us deserved it. None of us were owed it. And yet you loved us even when we wanted nothing to do with you. Lord, may these words continue to ring in our hearts that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And because we know Jesus, we know the Father. And we're thankful and we're grateful for what you have done and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.